Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you have chosen to click play on this podcast. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope today's talk encourages you. Great to see you. If you're watching online, welcome to you too. Really, really glad you're joining with us. Well, there was the question that Andy asked in the video there. What do you wonder about? And I wonder... What is it about the front two rows that no one has ever prepared to sit in them? What, what is it? No matter what, isn't it? Because it could move. I just want to get one of those conveyor belt kind of seating, which suddenly, all of a sudden, the people at the back are suddenly moving forward and more seats are popping up behind that. What, what do you wonder about? I mean, do you ever go, as um, uh, was kind of demonstrated within the video, go outside at night and you look up and you wonder, and you wonder, is there an end to what we can, uh, uh, to the universe? Or does it just keep on going? Do you you wonder, I wonder whether we will ever have people living up on one of those planets. Do do you ever wonder if there is life out there somewhere? Maybe uh, for some of us uh, here, that's not our wonder, but, uh, but, you know, some of the best stories are ever written and told because someone starts with an idea and then wonders where that idea could lead to. And so you get the most amazing stories that you can sit and to read because people have wondered. Have you ever wondered about where technology is going to go? I mean, just have a look there. You see, we used to have one of those phones on the left, um, and it was the only phone that we would have in the house when I was growing up. It was impossible to have a private conversation because it was in the living room. Uh, And so if you had a girlfriend ring up or anything like that, it was a nightmare. Uh, Yeah, anyway. Um, uh, But now look. But now, you see, you can have a, a, a phone... Uh, that goes anywhere with you, and you can find out any information that you want about anything within just a few seconds. Where, where is technology? I wonder where technology is going to go next. Have you ever looked at a little baby, and you've held a little baby, and you've looked down and just thought, I wonder what they're wondering about? I wonder, because there is different expressions on their faces and they'll be looking around, and you just wonder what's going through their thinking, what's going through their mind. Today, I'm wondering, will England win the World Cup at cricket? In fact, it's more than wonder. It is utter prayer. It really is, I'll tell you. I am so, so desperate. And cricket is my, is my first love with regards to sports. And I'm speaking at Debenham. I'm out for lunch. I'm speaking at Thurston. And I'm out for tea. And I'm not seeing any of it. I know, thank you. And so I wonder, what's the score? How is it going? Oh, there we go. Oh, New Zealand 8 for 1. Okay, thank you very much. That is great. Good. Just, just feel free to bring that up at any point because uh, people will lose interest in me. They just want to know what's happening there. But what do you wonder about? You see, wonder is part of the joys of being human, of being alive, that we can question, we can, we can start to think what's beyond our understanding, what's beyond our knowledge. And wonder can lead to new discoveries, it can lead to new ideas, it can lead to a sense of fear as we wonder what the future is going to be like. And the truth is, is that every single one of us, whether watching or here within the room, we wonder, we do. And we wonder through a frame of reference. In other words, a context, a way of thinking that is our way of thinking. And so we will view the world through this framework. 
And this framework helps to make sense of what life is about for us. And so we will look through this frame. And the reason that um, uh, we have this kind of frame of reference is that it helps to make sense of life. Now, there will be some bits that we don't understand, which is why we wonder. But we all have a frame of reference. And the thing about this frame of reference is that as we grow up, as we get older, as we have different experiences, that frame of reference will change. And so what happens is in time, What we've started with of thinking what's right and wrong, of what's um, important, what's not important, those things change as we go through life. Our frame of reference changes. In fact, it happens all the time. It constantly, constantly, constantly happens in science. Now, just a hundred years ago, People, scientists, believed that our universe had always existed. It had just always been there. But there were scientists who were constantly wondering whether there was something new that they could discover or learn about our universe. And so 90 years ago, this man, Edwin Hubble, you've heard of the um, Hubble telescope? Well, Edwin Hubble, in 1929, 90 years ago, as he was looking through... Uh, his telescope, he was able to observe that the stars and the galaxies were moving and they were moving further and further away from each other at incredibly high speeds. And so he thought, if they're moving away, if we were to reverse the process, what would happen? And as he did calculations to reverse the process, what happened was, is that all of them seemed to come to a single point. And so it started to change the way in which the scientific uh, community viewed our universe. That suddenly everything was changing in their understanding of how the universe existed and how it came into being. Their whole frame of reference changed because of that man's discovery. And so then over the next number of years through the, um, the, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, scientists kept on trying to discover more and more information about this new way of thinking. And then in 1964, you are going to be blown away. The cosmic microwave background. You see, you just think I'm a pretty face. Actually, there is a lot behind this. There is. It's called Google. Now... In 1964, scientists in the United States of America, uh, as they were looking at the universe, they were looking at the space in between the galaxies and in between the stars. And through normal telescopes, it's just dark. But through a very specific radio telescope, they were able to look out and they heard noise. And they saw a glow. And as they discovered this, this glow, this noise, wasn't linked to any galaxy or any single galaxy or any single star. And as they explored more, they came to the conclusion that it was this relic microwave, this this, um, radiation that's found within the universe that indicated that everything came from a source, from what we now know as the Big Bang Theory. 
Now, lots of people would dispute that, but what you can't dispute, it was a great TV program, wasn't it? I mean, you just have to be able to say that. Something good came from it anyway, didn't it? But the point, the reason why I'm saying this is this, is that the idea, suddenly that the universe had a beginning, it created a brand new framework that scientists were operating from. And what it did, it brought a brand new set of problems, a brand new set of questions, an awful lot of wondering, and different things to wonder about. Now, you and your frame of reference will, over time, have changed. But we all have a frame of reference that helps us make sense of the world and it helps of life and it helps us make decisions that make sense to us. Now, whether you've ever stopped to consider what your frame of reference is, it might be very muddy, you might not even have thought about it, but you have one. And it determines what you believe. And it determines how you should behave. Not how you behave, but how you should behave. And it determines where we can gain hope from. And actually, for many of us, to start with, our frame of reference is inherited. Normally, it's our parents or the people who brought us up. Invest in us and shapes and forms our frame of reference of how we view the world. And so, here we go, look. For me, I had a religious frame of reference. I was brought up within a Christian family to believe in God. I don't ever stand out, look at the stars and wonder if there's a God. I don't, because God is already my frame of reference. For some of you, you might not have had a religious, you might have had a moralistic upbringing, where basically live how you like, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else or any other um, animals. It might be that you've had a scientific upbringing where it's logic. There has to be logical answers to the questions that we have. And so you approach life in a very logical way. It might be that you've grown up, it might not have been mentioned as karma, but you know that, that everything happens for a reason. Yeah, you might have heard your parents say that, and so you've adopted it. You, you've taken that on board. Everything happens for a reason. Maybe it's fate. Nothing happens for a reason. <laughs> it just happens. Maybe it's opportunistic upbringing, where, where your parents have said, you've just got to look after number one. No one else is going to look after you, so you make sure you do the best for yourself. All of us will have a frame of reference that we will have um, uh, inherited from those that have brought us up. And as children, we adopt it. As we go through teenage years, we definitely adapt it, don't we? And then when we enter adult life, we either realize that our parents were wiser than we thought when we were teenagers and, and we kind of readopt it, or we abandon it for something else. When it comes to faith, if we've been brought up or if we have adopted at some point a faith framework and then life doesn't make sense through that framework, I tell you, it is so disturbing, it is so unsettling, and it leaves us wondering. And for some people, it leaves us wandering. They wander away from faith. This is so true for teenagers. Teenagers, as they head off to uni, especially if they've been brought up in church and, and been part of a, a, some kind of Christian family, that, that while they're at home, they're protected, they're encouraged to go to church, they have their Christian friends at a church. And then the new world of uni happens. And suddenly they're living away. Suddenly there's this new choice of friends. 
And many of those might not have anything to do with faith. There are new thinkings and learnings that, through the studies that we're doing that makes us question some of the things that we've brought up uh, believing. There's no accountability for parties, for relationships, for drink. Uh, and so suddenly, the old framework, the old religious framework that we've grown up with, suddenly doesn't seem to be quite so appealing anymore. Doesn't seem to appear to be that much fun. And so, what so often happens is that teenagers going into their 20s will slowly wander away from faith. I want to ask the question this morning, and over these next three weeks, um, we're going to be exploring. Next week, of course, you'll have to watch on Catch Up from Thurston because we're not covering this uh, over at Athlington. But the question today is this, what do we do when life doesn't make sense? When life doesn't line up with our frame of reference? Because that's what this series is all about. What is it that we wonder about? So today, I want to focus on a character within the New Testament, um, uh, a man whose experience and understanding didn't match up with his frame of reference. And I want to see how he and how Jesus um, responded and approached that situation. So the character that I want us to be looking at is a man called John the Baptist. Now, John was a cousin of Jesus, and uh, his role as he grew up was to pave the way for Jesus when Jesus started his ministry. And so what he would do is that he would go out and he would preach and he was a very, very outspoken man. Uh, and he would have a number of followers who would be with him uh, and he would tell people to turn from their sin. He would baptize people in the River Jordan. He would do all of these things. And then when Jesus came along, it was almost as if he says, at last everyone, look, I've just been getting ready for this moment. Here he comes. And in fact, uh, one of the, um, uh, uh, the Gospels, uh, one of the writers of the story of Jesus, he, he writes and says, John said, um, uh, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is how he welcomes Jesus to say, this is your Messiah. And John baptizes him. Uh, and then he carries on preaching. And as I said, he was really outspoken. So he would speak out against the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. And the religious leaders really did not like John very much. But it also got him into big trouble because there was a ruler of the time and his name was Herod. And Herod, um, uh, he got really naffed off with, um, uh, with John the Baptist because Herod was married. He was married to one of his enemy's um, uh, daughters. And he did it for political reasons to try and keep um, the land at that time uh, kind of safe. But he hadn't married out of love. He'd only married out of political reasons. And then Herod hits this problem because he falls in love with another lady. And her name is Herodias. So it's Herod and Herodias. And he wants to marry her and he wants to build her this really big palace. But there is a problem because, of course, he's married and she's married. In fact, she's married to his half-brother, whose name is Philip. What's even more confusing is that she is the daughter of one of his half-brothers as well because their dad had 43 children from 10 or 11 wives. Okay? Now, if you think you're in a family muddle, okay, you're identifying with this already, aren't you? And so basically, it was this, that if Herod married Herodias, she would be his wife, his niece, and his sister-in-law. It's true. If she had children, she would be their mother, their aunt, and their cousin. Now, you see, that is called blended family, don't you think? Yeah? 
And he proposes to her and she says yes, so they get married. And John hears about this and he speaks out against this marriage and Herodias hates John for it. And so Herod arrests him and puts him in prison, but he doesn't kill him because he's kind of fascinated by this man. And so we find in the story, John is sitting in prison and this is how Luke records it. The disciples of John the Baptist, because he still had followers with him, told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord, that's Jesus, to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, John is the one who had said, The Messiah is coming. In fact, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had proclaimed that, and then here he is in prison, and he's wondering, and he's wondering, is he the one? Things are not working out as I'd expected here. Do you know what? I so identify with John, because we all wonder when bad stuff happens, when we don't get our own way, or when life gets tough. I mean, I remember wondering if God would do something with Sarah's cancer diagnosis. I remember praying for it and I remember wondering, God, will you do this? You will have done the same. You will have wondered about God if illness or disability has hit or if you've lost a loved one or if you've lost your job, if you're hugely in debt if you've had a relationship breakdown, if you've had a, uh, 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 an emotional, a mental um, a health breakdown, and you will have wondered where God is, why he doesn't act, and does he really love me? Why, why do we wonder? Well, it's because it's outside our frame of reference. Our frame of reference nearly always doesn't include bad stuff happening to us. We don't include that very easily, so we struggle and we wonder, and we doubt. And it's why some people not just wonder, but wander away. So what was John's frame of reference? Why was he starting to question about Jesus? Well, John lived by what's known as the Old Testament, which is the writings before Jesus uh, came. Uh, And there was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Jesus, in fact, read part of this prophecy. And the prophecy was found in Isaiah, and it goes like this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and here it comes, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Where is John? He's in prison. What did the Messiah come to do? Oh, it was to release from darkness for the prisoners. If there was anyone who was a prime candidate for Jesus to set free from prison, it would be his cousin and the one who's paved the way for him. But it wasn't happening. There was John who had preached and preached time and time again the day of vengeance where God's judgment was going to come. And that's what he was expecting Jesus to do. And Jesus hadn't mentioned it once. In fact, when Jesus quoted those words about himself... When he first started his ministry, he didn't even include that last little section of the day of vengeance. See, 
John, the things weren't working out as he had expected. And what's Jesus' response to John's wondering? Here we go. This is how it's recorded. Luke writes it this way. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told Jesus, John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus never said, go back and tell John, I am the one and only. Because Chesney Hawks was going to do that about 2,000 years later, and Jesus thought that's too embarrassing. No, what he, he, he didn't say, I'm the one. What he said was this, go back and report to John what you've seen. Tell him about the miracles. Tell him about what is happening. In other words, John, there is no need to wonder. Because the evidence is all around for who I am. The blind are seeing. People are being healed. And I love Jesus' response. It's so gentle. Because what he's saying is that, John, there is something tangible about your faith. I want you to trust me. Of course I do. But that you haven't got to just trust my words. You can trust me through my actions, through what I'm doing. Let me be the point of reference in your life. Here's the evidence. That's what Jesus was saying to John. And it's desperately sad that when people wonder and then they wander from faith, it's nearly always for reasons other than about who Jesus is. Nearly always, people will leave because of people in church, because they don't believe this part of the Bible, because that's been disproved, because I've been hurt. You see, the evidence that we have is even more compelling for who Jesus is than the evidence available to John. Because we have recorded for us the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus. We have his death. We have the evidence of the resurrection. So do you wonder whether you can really trust Jesus? Do you wonder whether his way is best? Do you wonder whether he really loves you when other stuff, bad stuff is happening? Do you ever wonder whether what he says is true? Look, he did say and do some remarkable things. He he told us about salvation. He told us about forgiveness. He spoke about peace and about loving others. And he even said that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. That's referring to himself. So that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life life. Jesus, for us, for you, if you're struggling, if you're doubting, Jesus says, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. I gave my life for you. I am alive today. The resurrection is the evidence that I am who I claim to be and that my words are true. It's how we know that when we confess our sins, we're forgiven. So you haven't got a question, you haven't got a wonder anymore because what Jesus did on the cross proves that we have been forgiven. We haven't got to wonder whether the Holy Spirit's been given because Jesus spoke about it and he said, I am leaving you the Holy Spirit 
to be with you. We haven't got to worry about whether we're children of God because Jesus called us his children. It's why we need Jesus to be our frame of reference. And it's really interesting of how Jesus concluded his conversation, which led um, uh, the two disciples to go back to John. This is how he finished this little section. He said, and he added, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am both a stumbling block and I'm also a frame of reference for you to view life through. He's a stumbling block because he doesn't always work the way that we want him to. How many of you have prayed a prayer and God hasn't answered and you've thought, if I was God and I had the power that God had, I would have done something different. And you'll have been disappointed in God because God hasn't acted in the way that you wanted him to. There have been times when he doesn't act. And he says this, he says, don't give up. We, we can't box God in to do what we want. We just can't. He's too big. He sees a much bigger picture than us. That's why he says, trust me. And he's our frame of reference for life. Because a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jewish Christians were really struggling. They were being persecuted. They were being pushed out. They were being ostracized. And they were wondering, is following Jesus really, really worth it? And that might just be where you are. And so the writer to Hebrews, we don't know who it is, he writes to encourage them to hang in there. And the basis of his argument is not on their situation, but on the identity of Jesus. So he writes about who Jesus is. And just these little three verses, I think, are brilliant. And now that we know what we have, as in Jesus, the great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. The writer is saying, don't wonder and then wander off. Don't, don't give up. Don't quit. We don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weaknesses and testing, experiencing it all, all but the sin. In other words, Jesus has showed up on our side of the frame. He's come to be with us. He understands what our experience is like. And then the writer says this, so let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. In other words, this writer who's writing to people who are thinking of quitting, who are thinking of giving up, who was wondering, is it really worth it? He's saying, to wonder, that's fine. But don't wonder. Don't give up. And my question to you today is this. Is life tough for you at present? Are things not working out as you had hoped or you had wanted? So are you wondering and questioning faith? Do you doubt? Look, you need to know that a hero of faith, a man called John the Baptist, wondered and he questioned and he doubted. And Jesus didn't tell him off, didn't tell him he was stupid, tell him to buck his ideas up. He said, just look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. And just for you and I, we, are, we need to make sure that our foundation of faith and our frame of reference for life is Jesus, who lived, who died, and who rose again. Uh, at the end of uh, a book that Andy Stanley's written called Irresistible, 
He tells the story uh, of a girl who's grown up within a Christian family, and she went to a Christian school where um, uh, much of her teaching would have been based around the Bible, and certainly when it came to science, it was uh, around Genesis 1 and the seven-day creation. And when she got to a certain age, she had to leave that school, and she went into the regular education. And there she was, and she was hearing all about evolution, and she was hearing about the Big Bang Theory. And the lecturer knew the, uh, where she had come from. Uh, and at various points um, after lectures, uh, he would say, how are you doing? And she would say, I'm fine, I'm fine. Uh, and eventually, he went up to her after one of the lectures, and he says, Look, how are you doing with this? How are you coping with this personally with regards to your faith? And her answer was brilliant. She said, I find it all fascinating, but it has nothing to do with the foundation of my faith. And she was right, because she's a smart girl. That our faith is not based on a literal Genesis 1 account. Our faith is not based on an answered prayer once. Our faith isn't based on being part of a church community. All of those things, if that's what we do, we will have struggles uh, uh, trying to answer so many questions, which is why our faith comes down to a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who will make sense of life, who will give us the direction that we should take in life. The writer to the Hebrews says this, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because the foundation of our faith isn't a book or an answered prayer or even faith in faith. It's not. It's in Jesus. And Jesus says, don't give up. Don't give up. So if you're facing a hard time, wonder. Of course you can wonder. What will God do? How will God work in this situation? You can wonder as much as you like. But please don't wonder. Because we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who lived the one who taught, the one who did miracles. More importantly, the one who died to demonstrate his love for you and me, to take our sin on himself. And then even more extraordinarily, as we have sung this morning, how he conquered death, that Jesus is alive today. That's why we have hope. My hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. That's a, a line of a song that we used to sing here. And it's true. That's where our hope is is found what did Jesus say God blesses those who don't fall away because of me so I want to ask that we stand together please because I would like to pray because I honestly believe there are some of you here who will have at some point or even watching online at some point you had a strong faith but you've, you've wandered from that because you've wandered and then you've wandered and today God is wanting to call you back and to say don't look at what the church did to you don't look at what um, the arguments that you got into about understanding the Bible. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me pray. Lord, we recognize that at times life is complicated and it's confusing and it's really hard to make sense of. And yet I thank you, Jesus, that you came to be that point of reference for us to know that we can be forgiven that actually following you is the best way to live. To turn our back on stuff which is wrong and to follow you. Lord, would you shape how we view life from now onwards?
And Lord, for anyone who's struggling, who's wondering at the moment where you are, Lord, would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the cross that was before him endured such pain, went through the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Lord, that joy being that we can know you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done that for us. Help us to fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so please check us out on social media at Forge Church and check out our website, forgechurch.com, where you can give financially, watch new content and see any details of events we have going on here at The Forge. See you next week.